The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Um, happy Father's Day to you guys, uh, fathers and people who have fathers, and uh, we recognize, and I, I think uh, I was out on part of Dale, but I, I think uh, probably he and I know Kramer touched on it. Father's Day is kind of an interesting day for a lot of people, kind of like Mother's Day. Uh, for some people, it's, it's a very uh, exciting, awesome time. Some people can be, have a lot of hurt in regards to their own uh, background, their own father, or uh, they feel that they have failed as a father, and so it can be a, 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 a negative reminder for some of us. And we, we just want to recognize that and to celebrate this morning uh, the fact that we have a heavenly Father who is perfect and good. And so no matter what kind of background you have, what kind of father you had, a good or a bad father who really dropped the ball, or what, father you kind, what kind of father you have been, you can know that your children and that you yourself have a father who is perfect and loving and has never dropped the ball. He's always been there. And so we can be secure and safe in that. So let's Let's celebrate that this morning, and, and to you fathers, that you can celebrate the fact that the Heavenly Father, who is the greatest Father of all time, can lead us in what it means to be a godly man and a godly father. I'm 35 years old, and I'm still learning what it means to be a, a, a man, a godly man, a godly father. I have a five-year-old daughter, and we're in the middle of adopting a two-and-a-half-year-old boy, Landon. You guys have seen him. And uh, the the more... The more I get to know about what it means to be a good father, like anybody can, can create children, but what it means to be a father isn't just being like having children that you are a part of creating. That uh, the, the more I realize what it means to be a, a godly father, the more I realize it means responsibility. It means losing my life. It means giving my life. It doesn't mean that I use my, my wife and my children to serve me. It means that I... In, I love them and serve them and give my life away for them. And it's only in that that I find satisfaction as a father. But the only way I can possibly do that, because by nature I'm an incredibly selfish man, I'm an incredibly prideful guy, I would rather have people serve me than to serve other people. The only way that I can possibly begin that kind of life is to have someone who is empowering me to live that kind of life. That's what we're going to be talking about today in the text, Ephesians 2, verse 10. It's not directly about fatherhood, but it's going to cover that. Um, also, I just want to give you guys a heads up for what will be coming in the coming weeks. Uh, at DOXA, we believe in what uh, a type of ministry that we call team-based ministry. And what that means is that I'm not the show. So I'm not the one who says, you know what, I'm an awesome speaker and I'm a really great leader and I think that we should have a church so I can showcase how awesome a dude I am. Uh, we believe that uh, a church is a community of people who are living life together and serving God together and serving each other, sharing life together day in, day in and day out. And because of that, then what we believe is that it takes a team in order to showcase who God is. That I can't show you guys, getting up here and speaking every week, who God is and what he's about. It takes a group of us together that, is the, that John, Paul calls us the body of Christ. What that means is if I'm like the, the pinky nail, I can only show you one 
kind of element of who Christ is in me. It also takes Craig. It takes Jonathan. It takes, it takes Becca. It takes everybody who is in this room and the people who are not here to show, to show who he is. And so to that end, that, 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 that fills in every part of what we do as a baby church. To say what we do as a church because we're just kind of a baby right now. But So to that end, I'm not the one that's going to be speaking every week. Next week, you guys have already heard from Dale once. Uh, Dale's going to be teaching next week the next section of Ephesians. The week after that, Kramer is going to be teaching the next section of Ephesians. And then two months out of July, the 14th and the 28th, we're going to have family worship. And your kids have been taken care of awesome. They've been learning about Jesus and the gospel back in the back. And we're going to combine everybody together and have a big family service together. And it's going to be fun. And I promise you, I won't be doing a normal sermon because... Let's be honest, that wouldn't work out very well. So, but it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have laugher, laughter, laugher. We're going to have laugher and uh, lots of dancing, and it'll, it'll, be, it'll be a big time. It's going to be a laugher. Um, you can turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll pretend I didn't say that. Ephesians chapter 2, our text is verse 10. I'm going to start back in verse 8 so we can get it in context. Uh, as I've been saying every week, Ephesians is a, is a letter that Paul, who was a church planter, wrote to the churches that had been planted around the city of Ephesus. So the city of Ephesus was a major city, uh, had around 250 to 300,000 people that lived there. It was a trade center. It was also a tourism center because they had the Temple of Artemis just outside the city limits, which was one of the seven wonders of the world. So people from all over would come and visit the temple, and they would buy trinkets. So it was kind of like Myrtle Beach in that you, you come, come to Myrtle Beach, and you visit a beachwear store, and you got to buy some shells, or you got to buy a T-shirt, you got to get something airbrushed like with your picture, like Kathy and John, summer 2007, and then you never ever wear it again. But it was kind of that kind of thing. They had little trinkets for sale around the area. And so Paul came to Ephesus. There was a few people there that were like studying the scriptures. They're talking about God, but they didn't really know the whole story. He came in, told them about Jesus. There were 12 men. The next thing you know, uh, I mean, it, over the next several years, all, the whole city of Ephesus heard the gospel and the whole area around it. So they had planted churches in the city of Ephesus in, this, in the area surrounding. And Paul is writing this letter to a successful church plant. So that's why we're studying it as we're a baby church, because we want this to be true of us. We want, you know, down the road to be able to look back and say, hey, we were a successful church plant because we followed this, this, the basic tenets that the city of Ephesus and the churches surrounding it followed whenever Paul planted the church in Ephesus. So let's start in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We talked about that last week. Talked about how this is one of the most important uh, some of the most important writing in the entire Bible that he's, ex he's explaining to us how it was that we became to be Jesus Christ's children, our father, the, of, I'm sorry, God the Father's children. It's by grace through faith. It's not our own works. It's a gift of God. And the whole reason is so that no one may boast. We talked about how he, he designed salvation in such a way that he designed the whole world in such a way that we wouldn't be able to boast in our own ability. We talked about how there's sort of two scales on either side that we 
tend to judge ourselves by. There's a scale that's called the American dream, and it's sort of the scale between success and failure. And we sort of judge ourselves by how well we're doing. We just cannot help it in the society that we live in by where we are on the success and failure scale. If, if I'm a success in my chosen career path or uh, my whatever it is that we find our, that we seem to be valuable and we think is important, we, we, we judge our success and failure, whether I'm doing well or I'm doing poorly by that scale. But then we talked about there's a whole other scale on the other side, and we call that American religion or Southern religion, or frankly, it's just religion altogether. I just call it American religion to try to balance it out with American dream on the other side. But it's just religion in general, and that's sort of a whole other scale of success and failure. And we judge ourselves of whether we're a success or we're a failure by how good we think we are, how, how well we have it together. But the fact that, you know, I, uh, we talked about the sort of the, you know, I'll cuss when a bowling ball drops on my toe, but I'm not just going to cuss for no reason. That's sort of the, uh, I, I don't drink, I don't, I don't do, I don't cheat on my taxes. I, I, I'm a good person or I'm a failure because I'm not. And we said that to both, to God, both of those scales are absolutely and totally irrelevant. He doesn't care whether you're a success or failure in the American dream, and he doesn't care, care whether you're a success or failure in the religion. Whether you're a good person or a bad person, we talked about how the problem with all of us is that we are born into sin. And by nature, we're separated from God. And by nature and by choice, we're pursuing our own way. And so there's actually two ways, or in this case, there's four ways that you can be far away from the heart of God. You can be far away from the heart of God and be a really good religious person, be at church every week, be a part of every Bible study. You listen to K-Love, you watch TVN all the day. God bless you if you do that. You, you, you're studying the Bible. You put in your hours of prayer every week. Whatever it is that you're doing, you guys know that's funny. They got the gold furniture on TV and the people with the big pink hair and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, that's what you're doing. You're nailing it all the time. But the problem with that scenario can be that you can be doing all that because you're trying to forge, forge your own righteousness with God. Or you could be far from the heart of God in a way that's a little more obvious to us. You could be out doing your own thing. You're being successful. You're doing the deal. You're you're making bank. You're providing for your family. You're driving a nice car, living in a nice neighborhood. You're you're fulfilling everything, but there still can be far away from. It doesn't mean you are far away from the heart of God that that is going on, but you can be far away from the heart of God because you're looking for your own righteousness, your right standing according to what you're doing. And he says, you don't, all of that is like filthy rags to me. You need my righteousness, which is what he provided for us when Jesus Christ paid our penalty on the cross. He provided our right standing. So we talked about as a community of people that we don't want, don't want to be known as a, 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 a collection of good people. We don't want to be known as the people who are either successful or failure on the American dream side or on the religion side. We want to be a people who are grateful, who are overcome with gratefulness because we have found right standing in our life in something outside of ourselves in the person and the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Now let's look at verse 10. For... So Paul's connecting what he just said, that it's by grace through faith. It's not of work, so we find no boasting. And this is really good news this morning. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Look at that first phrase there, for we are his workmanship. So that word there, workmanship, in the original Greek, talks is the, the same word that's used in regards to when God first created the world. In fact, that's the only other time that, it's, that that word is used in the New Testament is when God is talking, when he, Paul is talking about how God created the world. So when it says that you are his workmanship, if you today are here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you are his workmanship. So let's think about creation. It says that every day, it says he, you know, he created the light and he created darkness. He created the, the, the sea, he created the land, he created the animals, he created giraffes and hippopotamuses and rhinoceroses. And then he created people. And then at the end of every day, he says he created it and then he looked at it and he says that it was what? He said it was good. It was good. He created the world. God, the master artisan, created the world. He created the universe. He thought up how quantum physics would work. He thought up for some reason that the giraffe would have a, a long neck. He thought up for some reason. I have no, why, no reason, I have no idea why, except in preparation for the fall, he created mosquitoes. He also created cats and dogs. He created all of that. He created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And uh, Craig was telling me this morning how he and his wife got up and they sat on the back porch and they just enjoyed how what a beautiful morning it was. I sat on the back porch yesterday and I just enjoyed the fact that it was June and I wasn't like sweating bullets. There was a nice breeze and Landon was playing. I'm sitting there, I had some jazz playing. I thought, this is awesome. He created creation and it was good whenever he created it. And if you are today a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been recreated. You've been made a new creation. And just as he looked back on his creation every day and he said, look what I did, that is good, he looks at you today and he says, it is good. Because you were created by his hand, the master creator, the master artisan, he created you, he formed you, you are his workmanship. He, think about what it means to be something, somebody's workmanship. Um, there, there's a time, I know nothing about art, so forgive me, but the, there's a time when, a, when an artist kind of first comes on the scene and he sort of, he's, or she, is discovered. And they, they start to get some attention because of the quality of their art, because of the, their, their, their style, the way they are able to capture the, the realism or the emotion or the feelings that goes along with it. So, so first of all, they begin to gather attention because of the quality of their work. And then they start to get a name, and then somewhere along the way, certain artists cross a point where their work doesn't just have value because it is good work. Their work gets value because of who made the work. So even the lesser works of Van Gogh or Rembrandt go for millions of dollars today, even if it's their lesser work. It may not be their masterpieces, but it was created by the master. It has intrinsic value, not because it's valuable in itself, but because of who 
painted it? Who created it? Who took the picture? Who wrote the song? Who put the notes down on paper? Who did the brush strokes on the canvas? It has work and inherent value because of the one who did the creation. And you and I, no matter in whatever broken state you still might be in, you might be a new believer and you still have a lot of messed up stuff in your life. You might be an old believer and you have a lot of messed up stuff in your life. It doesn't matter. You are his workmanship and you have value, not because of how good you are or how smart you are, how well you have it together. You have intrinsic value because of the one who did the work. You are his workmanship. You are his workmanship created. He's talking about a new creation, a new order. So so we're in this as Christians, we're sort of in this in-between period where we're still in this world that is messed up and broken I mean, you see it, right? I mean, you just watch the news one day, and you know we are in a messed up, broken world. Things aren't working like they're supposed to work. We, We had this sense from the very beginning of our life that we know, like, life should be better. It could be better. We we got to get there, but we don't know how. We just we we humankind has constantly been foiled in our attempts to be better, have a better society, have a better life. We're always foiled by that sense. But it's broken. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we live in this this now but not yet place where the new creation that God is making, he's coming again to make it all right. It has begun. It has broken into the world. So it's sort of like if you, view, if you view the church and the churches that are scattered all over the world as outposts in the middle of the darkness. They're outposts that are governed by the king who is going to come and set things right one day. But in those outposts, in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of hostile and enemy territory, in that outpost, things work differently. There's a different economy. There's a different type of relationships that are between us. There's a different way that we view our lives, that we view the meaning of life that comes from not the world that surrounds us, but it comes from the fact that a new creation has broken in on our hearts. So you individually and I individually, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we are like ambassadors in a foreign land. And then together in the way that we live life together, that's what we're trying to plant here in a church. We are a, we are a collection, a community of people in the middle of darkness that are living a different kind of life. We are part of a new creation that has broken forth in the world And one day the king is going to come a second time. The first time he came to pay our penalty for us and unite us to God. The second time the king comes to set up his kingdom on a new heaven and a new earth. Did you guys know that? That that where we're going to be with Jesus for eternity is not like in the clouds somewhere strumming harps. It's not like... I love praise and worship. I love to sing songs to worship Jesus. I hope that, that that's a very big, important part of life. As we do that, as we gather as a community on Sunday mornings, we do show sharing the song of Christ that has been echoed for the past 2,000 years. We sing the, the same song, though different 
slightly different words and slightly different uh, musical notes and melodies than the believers who gathered in caves 1,500, 1,600, 1,800 years ago. We, we joined the same song that they are singing today in heaven that the angels who are gathered around the throne are singing, but we're not going to be sitting around all day long just singing worship choruses around the deal. It says that he is coming and he's going to create, he's going to recreate the earth. And just as the way Jesus' body died and he was resurrected, he's going to resurrect the earth. And the earth is going to, one day, it's not going to be broken like it is now. It's going to, it's going to work again the way he intended it to work. When you read the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve in the garden, things are awesome and things are peaceful and things are great. That's the kind of life that we are going to lead, lead forever with Jesus Christ. He's coming to inaugurate a new kingdom that has already been inaugurated. It has already begun. It's in seed form. It's small. It's not overtaking the world yet, but you can see pockets all around the world of people who are living by a new creation, a new code, a new order has broken upon the old order and one day the old order will be engulfed in that new order when the king returns. It doesn't happen by force. The, the, the Christian message is not advanced by armies. It's not advanced by, by people who convert at the, at the end of a gun. It, it doesn't come by us voting the right people into office. It comes when the king returns. But in the meantime, it's sprinkled in communities all over the world, showing a different kind of life. You are his workmanship, created anew, a part of a new creation, a new world order. Created what? Now he gives a purpose. So we've spent Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians 2 all the way to the second half of chapter 10 talking about how awesome God is. And, and it hasn't talked much about us and our responsibility, has it? That's something Dale mentioned a couple weeks ago. He said, you know, we've talked a lot about God, but, you know, we also need to talk about what responsibility we have. And now Paul is then, now he's thrusting onto us what our responsibility is, what our part in this is. And it's really good news because I, I don't know if you, you guys grew up in church or been around church a long time, but there were there are certain sermons that you liked that I liked to hear that were exciting and cool to hear, but then there were certain sermons that you, you knew, like, this is not going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it usually had to do with prayer or especially evangelism, sharing our faith, and foreign missions. Like, there were those kind of messages you're like, Oh, man, because you just felt so guilty. Like, I am so terrible at praying. I'm so terrible at sharing my faith. And I don't really care about anybody in Africa. If I'm going to be really honest with myself, I really don't care about that. But here's the great news that's in this passage. Let's, let's read this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, so if we stop there, we would say, oh man, you know, I need to be a better person. I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better wife. I need to be a better father, a mother. I need to be a better employee. I'm not very good at, at praying. I I'm I'm, don't read my Bible enough. I, I don't log in enough hours on my knees. I'm not, I haven't shared my faith with one person every single day. Or I, whatever you, it is that you judge, you're like, man, I need to be a better person. But look at the second part of this verse. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God 
prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So he's saying that we are created for the purpose of good works. But how does that work? Well, first of all, we need to make sure that we get the order of the works in order or we're going to fall apart. And that's what Paul has been focusing on. All that God has done for us is by grace through faith, not of your works, so nobody can boast. It's by his works that we are able to do our works. He doesn't come as an, Jesus didn't come as an example and say, hey, Jesus lived an awesome life. He loved people. He was humble. He was courageous. He was all these things that were supposed to be. Now I should go and follow his example and try to be like he was. He, doesn't, he just says, no, that's not the way to do it. He says, you need to understand that the works have already been done by me. You were created for good works, but I did them. I'm the one that prepares you for, to do them. I'm not an example for you. I am the doer of the works. And if we get those, that out of order, if we think that I have to do good works in order to be justified with God, then we're going to be hitting our head against a brick wall all the time because we're never going to be good enough. I've been a Christian almost my entire life. You think I should have the deal down, like daily quiet time, right? Or who? I wish the person who called, I think it sounds so cheesy. Whoever, whoever coined that term, I would hit him with a wet noodle. But if you have your daily quiet time, you would think I would have that down, right? My devotions. Like I'd be able to read the Bible every day and spend X amount of time in prayer. You would think I would be able to like not mouth off. Like just yesterday, Megan and I, I was, I was taking, I was doing a really good thing. I was taking Sophia to a daddy-daughter dance. And uh Landon needed some discipline, and we were trying to deal with that, and it ran me late. And then the daddy, daddy trouble, the, the, one of the um, car seats had to be moved from one car to the other car, and it was hot outside, and we are going to be late. And it was just, and I, I, I mean, I snapped at Megan. We, and it, thankfully, I had to leave, or it probably would have become more than just snapping at Megan. It would have become like a full-blown deal. You would think, I've been a believer, what, 30 years I've been, in, I've been in church since I was born. You would think I would be able to have it down. But I do not. I am constantly messing up and dropping the ball. And if I am trying to base my right standing with God on my works, I'm going to be hitting my head against the wall all the time. But if we reverse that and say, no, God does the work for me. It is Jesus Christ who by his sacrifice on the cross paid the debt that I owed to God and united me to God. And his death is counted as my death and his life is now counted as my life. His, he took my sin and now his righteousness is now my righteousness. His right standing with the Father is now my right standing with the Father. Then that creates works. I'm not working, I'm not trying to be good in order to try to earn something or try to stay in good standing. Because I am in good standing, then I work. I have to get the order right, the order of the works. And the second thing we have to think about is what is the nature of the works that he's talking about? What is kind of obvious, it says that he's, we are created for good works. But what does that 
What does that even mean? Well, let's look at, uh, well, first of all, there's a lot of things that, good things that people do in life that are good things. There's better than bad things. Uh, A large donation to a charity. Giving somebody a kidney. Uh, You know, so. There are, a lot of people, there are a lot of people that do a lot of good things in life, but the, the question is, why do we do them? Have you ever thought about, like, it's awesome that a celebrity is giving a million dollars to an important need or $10 million to a deed, but, but has it ever kind of crossed your mind, like, it's interesting that we know that they did that, that there was a press conference or a press release or a big telethon or Oprah doing a show, like everybody knows that they're doing it. It's, it's good that they gave the money to the need, but why do we do it? Do we do it for strokes? Do we do it so people would think I'm a good person? Do we do it so that people would know what I did? Do we do it so that I'd be popular or people would call me good or they'd forget the bad things that I did? You know, if I bring home flowers to my wife, that's a really good thing. But if I bring home flowers to my wife because I have, I have been biting at her all week long. I've been throwing verbal darts at her all week long and I feel guilty, then it's, is, is it really like a selfless thing that I'm doing? I'm doing it because I'm trying to take care of our relationship and try to assuage, like massage that between us. But here's why God does good works. He does them, it's, it's called disinterested love. And what that means is he doesn't have any interest in it. He, he did it. He doesn't get anything back in return. He did it absolutely selflessly. And that's the kind of works that we're talking about. And I don't know about you, but that seems like a far cry from the way I live my life. But that's what he's called us to do. We were created, part of this new creation is a life of disinterested love. Look at Galatians chapter 5. And a lot of you may have this memorized. Verse 22. This is the kind of good works, the kind of life he's called us to. This is the nature of the works. But the fruit of the Spirit, that's capital S, so that's the Holy Spirit there. That's the third person with the Godhead. Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Notice the thing that ties all those together is they're absolutely and totally disinterested. If you're gentle, if you're kind, if you're loving, if you're, and it's not just one of those, but all of those together is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. All of those together, it's it's not a self-ish kind of thing. It's a self-less kind of thing. That's the new order that God has called us to be a part of. But, but how does that happen? Look at, look at John chapter 15. In verse 4. This is Jesus talking. Again, it's talking about fruit. It's an agricultural reference. John 15, 4. Jesus is talking. Abide in me. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? You can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So, so what he's saying is the only possible way that you can live a life that is full of good works, that is, that is abundant in disinterested love to each other and to people who, people who don't like you, people who you don't care for. See, that's the, that's the whole miracle of the cross is that Jesus died on the cross for people who didn't care for him. In fact, people were, who were enemies of him. And he's, it's one thing if you love your family and you love your friends who are like you, you love the people that you go to church with, the people that you work with because you happen to like them and be like them, but he's called us to live a kind of life that is full of disinterested love where we love people who don't particularly care for us and frankly, that we don't particularly care for ourselves. There's gonna be people who are a part of the church who you're not gonna care for, you don't wanna hang out with, you don't particularly like but he's called us to live a life of good works, to love them and care for them and to serve them, to show gentleness, kindness, patience to them. But how can you do that? He says the only way you can do that is by abiding in him. Like the same way a branch is connected to a tree and it bears fruit, not because the branch is awesome, but because it's connected to the tree. And the sap, the life flows out of the tree to the branch and bears fruit. That's the way he has called us to bear fruit. That's what he says when he says that it was, he's called us to good works, which he has prepared beforehand. How can he do that? What, like, how can he have prepared beforehand the way I'm supposed to treat my wife? How can he prepare beforehand the people who are at my workplace who frankly get on my nerves? There are people who I work with who get on my nerves and who frankly don't like me very much either. How can I love them and be patient and kind and gentle them? He says, how can he prepare those kind of works beforehand? He says he's prepared it beforehand because it's by his power and it's by his strength that you're able to do it. As we abide in him, as we rest in him, as we, as we rest in his work and his care for us and his love for us, the fact that I'm, uh, I am accepted and secured, not because of my works, but because of what he has done for me, then his life is able to flow out of me. A different, that's how the new order, the new creation is able to flow out of me in the way I treat Dale, in the way I treat the cashier at Walmart. Bless her heart. Bless all the workers in Walmart's heart. Walmart, uh, Walmart drives me absolutely bad. Have you ever been in, uh, I guess any Walmart, on a Friday evening? Have you been in the Walmart, the one uh, at Seaboard near the mall on a Friday evening? That place will test your patience. The salt of the earth has come out and filled that place. It is teeming with people. It is teeming with some weird and scary people, particularly this time of year when it's va the vacationers are there as well. And you walk in there and there's, I mean, people are everywhere and there's two checkout lines open in the entire place. They are backed up down the aisle 
And, and not just like, and say, okay, well, we can go to the quick one in the jewelry counter or the one back in the electronics. No, those are backed up as well. And that will try your patience. How can I remain a Christian and be, have good works and have patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, which I probably didn't have this past Friday when we were there. How can I do that whenever it drives me crazy? The only way I can do that is because God has prepared those works beforehand. It's by his work, his life, his sap flowing through me as the branch. Not with me, I'm not the source of the sap. The, van, the branch is not the source of the sap, of the life. If you cut the branch off, what happens? Nothing. Nothing happens. It just dies. It dries up. And the only thing it's good for, Jesus said, the only thing it's good for is to be burned. In fact, he says, not only... Um, not only is that the way to bear fruit, but he says that we must bear fruit. Um, verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So not only do we have to remember the order of the works, that it's God who does the work and not us, that, that we are able to do the works because of the works that he has done, we understand the nature of the works that is full of disinterested, unselfish love for each other. But then the third thing is that we have to understand the necessity of the works. That, that if you and I are here and we're a believer and we aren't living a life that is producing good works, then we need to stop and question where we stand. Because he's saying that somebody who has understood the works that Christ has done for them has become a part of the new creation will necessarily produce good works. It doesn't mean that everything that you ever do, everything that you ever say, will be good and full of disinterested, unselfish love. But it means that the tenor of your life has changed, the core of your life has changed, and the direction of your life has changed. And you will be producing a life of good works. Now, again, and that's the beauty of it, that doesn't rest upon you. We don't leave here today feeling cast down that I have to go out of here and be better, work harder, try harder. We leave here more grateful that he has worked harder and tried harder for us on our behalf. And because of that, his life can flow through us. And almost without, as we grow, it, the works are not the gritting your teeth, like I'm going to read the Bible today. I'm going to share my faith today. I'm going to do all the things that I know I should do. I'm not going to mouth at my wife today. I'm not going to snap at my kids. I'm not going to do this or that anymore. I'm not going to look at that porn. I'm not going to look at that lady. I'm not going to do this anymore. That by, by sheer willpower, it says that that self-control, you know what it said? It said the self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, not a fruit of your effort. It's a Self, your ability to be a more controlled person is not based upon your effort or your ability to, grit, to grit your teeth and bear it, to tighten your belt, to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. It is centered upon his finished work on our behalf that then flows through us like the sap, which leads us into the fourth thing. We need to remember the order of the works. We need to remember the nature of the works. We need to remember the necessity of the works. And the last thing is we need to remember the doer of the works, which is what we've been talking about the whole time. So it's sort of an interesting thing that, that if I'm going to do works, it means that I have to do them. 
But it also says that he has done them for me. How in the world does that work? Frankly, I don't understand. But it, does mean, it doesn't mean that I'm going to open my eyes in the morning and I'm going to float through life. Like, you ever seen uh, a cartoon like Bugs Bunny smells carrot stew? And like the, you see the, the smell kind of wafting, wafting through the air and it goes down to the bunny hole and he's laying in bed and it comes by his nose and he just kind of follows it all the way to, the, to Elmer Fudd or whoever's trying to trap him. Like sometimes we can fall on two errors. One, one way is we can think that, it, that life comes like to, for me to, to be better means I, I grip my teeth, I pull myself up with bootstraps, I try harder, I work harder. But the other way is sometimes we, get, we think like, I'm just going to wake up and I'm just going to just kind of just float through life like Bugs Bunny floating on a, on, like a, on a carrot cloud on the way. Like I'm just going to smile at everybody and be nice to the right people and won't take any effort. But it's just weird kind of mix how God works to that. I I wake up and I have to make certain decisions. I decide. But Megan says something and I decide I'm going to respond to her differently. Or I'm at work and I would, I, 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 this person just, I would, one way I could avoid them, but I make a decision not to avoid them. So I have to make the decision, but I do so not resting upon my own ability to control myself, but I do so it's a resting. Notice how what Jesus said, he said, you abide in me. It has to do with a, a resting, a, a sitting, a relaxing in who Christ is and what he has done for you. And it's in that posture, in that resting. It's difficult to describe in a setting like, that, like this, but in that resting posture in your heart, resting in the sufficiency of who Christ is. It's based upon the fact that I'm not finding my right standing in life on either of those scales of the American dream or on religion. It's based upon what Jesus has done for me. And then because of that, my heart overflows with love and worship to him. That then when I'm in that moment, and Megan says something that I think is incredibly stupid, that I do not respond. I'm not saying she is stupid. I'm saying I think it's stupid, by the way. Let's just clear that up. Or let's say, not to say Megan, I did, pretend I didn't say that. Edit that out of the podcast. Somebody says something that I think is incredibly stupid. And in that moment, I make a decision not to respond the way I would normally respond to respond out of disinterested, unselfish love, gentleness, patience, kindness, self-control. Not because I have forced myself to do so, but because I am so overwhelmed and overcome by who Jesus is, what he has done for me on my behalf, that then his energy, his sap, his life flows through me. And by doing that, those little things at work, at home, you collect a group of people who are living that kind of lives together, having those kind of marriages, those kind of parenting issues, those kind of relationships with each other. All of a sudden, what do you get? You put all that together, you start to get that picture that we were talking about of the new creation, breaking in the world. As you see people who are at your workplace and at your neighborhood, they, they look over at your life and they look at your friends and they visit your community group or they visit here on a Sunday morning or wherever you go to church and they see a people who are living differently. Not just, in fact, it's less important on this morning than it is when we're out in, the, in everyday life. And they see you operating from a new kind of order. And then they look on the outside and say, Jesus must be real 
not because of how awesome the guy who spoke on Sunday morning was, and not because they're wearing a Christian t-shirt, but because their life looks dramatically different. It may include big things like going to India on a mission trip. It may include giving a kidney to somebody or whatever, I have whatever big thing it is that, that we think of. It could be the big thing, but it's really made up into everyday small things in life. And the way I'm a husband, the way I'm a father, the way I'm an employer, an employee at my workplace, the way kind of neighbor I am. Again, not out of effort, trying to be better based upon the effort and the work that has been finished in Jesus Christ. Does that kind of make sense? So we need to remember the order of the works. He did them first, now we, then we do them, not the, not the other way around. If you mix it up, everything falls apart. The order of the works, the nature of the works, that it's full of disinterested, selfless love, the fruits of the Holy Spirit that we read, the necessity of the work, the fact that just as a branch that's on, uh, I grew up, we had two pear trees in the backyard. We had a plum tree. We had eight pecan trees. The, the, the pecan trees, by nature, bore pecans because they were connected to the pecan tree, not because the branches were awesome. The branches on our pear tree bore pears this time of year, that would drop on the ground and rot. There'd be all kind of bees and wasps flying around. Then it was terrible and smelled bad. But they bore those pears because they were connected to the pear tree. And that's the way that we bear. That's the nature of the works. And then the necessity of the works, the nature of the works, and the doer of the works. That It involves us doing something, but we do so under the power, the impetus of somebody else who's working behind the scenes. Somebody else, the hidden one. Let's pray. Father, as we, um, as we finish up uh, verse 10 of Ephesians 2, uh, I just thank you for the really, really good news that we are created anew, your workmanship, if we are a believer in Jesus Christ today. And if any of us here today aren't believers, that we're, we're not a Christian, maybe we've been around church, we haven't been around church, and that's never happened, I pray that today you would do, excuse me, you would do a work in their hearts, that you would create in them a new heart. As they put their faith and trust in the, your finished work on their behalf, they would be, that they would become a part of the new creation, a new order, a new kind of life that is broken out in this world. And Father, if we are a part of, if we are your workmanship, then we, just as you look back on creation on each day and you said it was good, and on the last day of creation you said it was very good, that you look upon us and you say it is good, it is very good. Again, not because of our ability to hold it together, but because you were the one that created it. We are a masterpiece, not because anything intrinsically good in us, but we are a masterpiece because the master has created us, has worked us, has formed us, and is forming us. We are your workmanship. And Father, I thank you that you've created us for good works, but you didn't leave it there, that there are good works that you have prepared beforehand, that all we have to do is follow them, 
follow you in them, to rest in you and abide in you, and that your Holy Spirit, uh, by doing so, flows through us with life, and that we are able to bear good fruit because because of the fact that we are resting in you. And Father, I pray that you would help us, help us that are here today, help us that are a part of forming this new church called Doxa, that you would help us to be a community of people who exhibit a vastly different kind of life in the everyday mundane things and the big things, in the way that we're fathers and husbands and wives and mothers, the way that we're children and the way that we're parents, the way that we are coworkers and the way that we're employees, the way we're employers, the way that we're neighbors, the way that we um, do everything that we do in everyday life, that, it would, that you would help us to so abide in you that that would be true of us, that we wouldn't be known as the, a church of good people, but we'd be known as a church of broken people who yet somehow, by a miracle, live lives of good works. And Father, I thank you that you designed it in such a way that um, we don't get any kind of name, we don't get any kind of value in ourselves, that all the value, all the name, all the glory, all the, all the kickbacks, all the boasting gets done by you. And so you are glorified in the fact that we live um, totally and quantitatively and qualitatively different lives than we did before we knew you. Father, stir our hearts as we prepare our hearts to, for communion this morning. I pray that uh, the truth of your goodness and your work for us would uh, capture us anew as we hear your gospel in, in this song, as we, as we join in in our hearts, that we would help prepare our hearts and see ways that we've tried to flip, flip it backwards and try to do our good works and so that we can feel like we're qualified to, uh, to share in yours, to share in your goodness, but that it's your work that comes first. Help us to remember that this morning. for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.